We are getting started on our brand new series uh, as we uh, go into Christmas, and uh, it is called Life Interrupted. And uh, I'm going to make a statement that may, for some of you, be a little uh, extreme as I'm talking about God, but I think I'll make the case this morning and even uh, throughout the series that God has a habit of interrupting. God has a habit of interrupting. It was uh, 14 years ago uh, on January uh, 25th, on January 15th was my first day in the office. January 21st will be my 15th, beginning of my 15th year at Hope Church. You don't have to clap for that. I was, I was hoping it would last that long. Uh, but, but the reason I tell you that is that I had spent 11 years at the previous church, and Kelly and I had spent 11 years together in that church. We had uh, uh, birthed all of our children, not in the home, but they grew up in that home. And uh, we had spent 11 years at that place. And God interrupted uh, I was, I was uh, uh, really quite content. We were comfortable. We were enjoying our experience there at the church we were at. And I was having lunch with Jeff Bills. It was an inconsequential lunch. He and I were talking about youth ministry. I was a youth pastor and had been a youth pastor for 20 years. And he wanted some advice on a circumstance here, at, at not here, but in Voorhees at the Hope, Hope Campus about youth ministry. And he wanted my advice. And so I took it as a free lunch. And I went out to lunch with him. We had a great conversation. But during our conversation, uh, we decided to continue having conversations because he and I discovered we had some kind of a kindred spirit uh, that we were at, at some uh, uh, ideas about the church, some experiences that we had in the church that we found exciting and had trouble finding other people, other pastors we could share those ideas with. And we said, let's keep meeting. I didn't know that that would turn into an interruption in our lives, that we would choose to uproot our, uproot our kids. We would move from one town to another town. We would buy our first house when we really didn't have the money to do that, all because we believed God had interrupted us and was leading us on a new direction and a new path. I believe God's in the habit of interruptions. Uh, this campus is an example of God being in the habit of interruptions. Voorhees and Hope was quite comfortable. Things were going fine. Things were terrific. Uh, the staff was doing well and things were going great. And all of a sudden, God interrupted and shared the idea of what would it look like for Hope to have another campus. It became an interruption in people's lives. It changed some things. It changed the direction some people drive to church. It brought some of you here for the first time, and that is another example of an interruption, because you came to a church building, or you came to a school, or you came to a community center, and you walked in as a visitor, and you didn't know that that was going to become an interruption in your life, and it changed the direction that your life was headed. Throughout the Bible, God has a habit of interrupting all the way from the very beginning. In Genesis 1.1, it says that the earth was formless. The earth was comfortable. The earth was doing fine. And it says, then God spoke. That was the interruption. God spoke and he said, let there be light and light existed. And that interruption changed the earth. It changed everything. 
At least that's the way Genesis 1 shares it. In Genesis 12, it continues that God has a habit of interrupting. In Genesis chapter 12, uh, in, verse, uh, in chapter 11, in those verses there, it says that Abram, Abraham was comfortable living in Ur. And things were going quite well for him. He was married. He had a family. Or he didn't have, he had children, but he had an extended family. And then it says, then God spoke or God said something to him. And his life was interrupted. God has a habit of interrupting. And those interruptions, and you hopefully have been thinking about times where you've been interrupted, those interruptions, depending on our perspective, have the potential to be opportunities. That interruptions have the potential to be opportunities. It really has to do with how do we perceive an interruption. So throughout the series, that's really going to be the question we're going to be asking ourselves is how do we perceive interruptions? How do we see interruptions? Do we see them as an interruption or do we see them as an opportunity? You bump into someone at the grocery store, you uh, have an unexpected phone call or unexpected text. Is it an interruption or an opportunity? You, there's an unscheduled meeting at work. Is it an interruption or an opportunity? See, because we always are going about life as usual that's what life is life is usual and then there's a crisis then there's a turning point then there's a change in direction and that moment is the interruption or opportunity so how we view it our perspective is how we perceive it as a interruption or an opportunity so there are moments in the uh, lives of the people in the Christmas story, which was just shared with us by Lonnie and Heather, and who are interrupted. And there's also stories throughout Scripture of Jesus interrupting, which was also shared. Our Scripture mashup was two Marys. It's not because they were both named Mary. It's because they both had lives that were interrupted by Jesus. And we believe that Jesus continues to interrupt people in the Gospels, and he wants to interrupt our lives as well. So just in case you haven't heard these stories before, and because we did a little mashup, I wanted to read them with you and uh, kind of talk about some things that are in those stories that are important. So it's going to be up on the screen. It's the same stories that were just read to you uh, in Luke chapter 1, but I'm not going to mash them. We're going to pull them back apart. It's Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. It says this, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now, in first century understanding and context, what Luke just did there was give background that in the 21st century we miss because, well, we're from the 21st century. First century engagement was, marital engagement was different than our understanding of when someone is engaged. The first step in the first century is that the two families would agree to the union and then they would negotiate the betrothal. There's no first date. There's no, I'll meet you at the movies. I'll meet you at Starbucks. There's no Tinder. There's no whatever all those things are. You flip back, right? Tinder is one of those things, right? There's none of those things, all right? I'm sorry. I was, I, I, I was dating in the Stone Ages, you know? So um, uh, we wrote notes, do you like me? Yes, 
No, circle, right? Yeah, that's what we did. Yeah, I didn't really do that, but that's what we did. Yeah. Uh, so, so, but these two families would agree to the union. They would negotiate a betrothal. In other words, the fathers would get together and they would decide the price for the bride. And that was going to be paid by the bride's father. That's the first step in the engagement. The second step is once that all has been, arrangement has been agreed upon, there's a public announcement. I can't go into the detail about that public announcement, but it would be announced that these two families had agreed on a price and this husband and this wife were going to be uh, husband and wife together and that would be a, a decision. They, it was a pledge that was being made and announced. It would be announced in the village. And then the groom would then return to his family home and he would begin building an addition onto the house. That was how the, the, the villages would actually populate is that the, 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 the families would just keep adding on sections of a house and that would be this, the, the new family that was going to be living in that house would be attached to the father's home. And so the groom would go back to build an addition to the home and the bride would go back to her family and she would begin to learn how in the first century to care for the home and do those things that she would be responsible for but the bride and groom are engaged they're pledged but they're not together they're living separately sexual relations don't exist between the bride and the groom they're living separately and these engagements in the first century are much more legally binding than they would be today. At this point, even though the couple are not officially married, even though their relationship, they're, they're, they're bound to each other legally, they're not living together, they're in two separate homes, possibly even in two separate villages, their relationship could only be broken now through death or divorce. This second step that they're currently in, that Luke just mentions when he says that they were engaged to be married, he's letting everyone in the first century know that's where they're at, could last up to a year. While the groom is building the home, the bride is being trained in those responsibilities that she would have. And this waiting period also demonstrated the bride's purity. Because even in the first century, they knew how long it takes for a woman to conceive and give birth to a child. And then finally, after the waiting time is over, the couple would be married. And then they would live together in this new home that was built. And so it's during this waiting time in this second period here, this second step, when the angel appears and there's an interruption. This is a giant interruption. Greetings. <laughs> Verse 29 up on the screen says, confused and disturbed. That's understated, isn't it? You know why? Because angels are confusing and disturbing. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, 
and you will name him Jesus, and he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And so it's almost as if as the angel's going on and on, Mary's like, time. But how can this happen? I am a virgin. Now, not everyone believes in a virgin birth story, and if you don't, that's okay. Mary didn't either. But Mary is young, but she knows how things work. And so she states the obvious. Maybe because she's not sure the angel knows how things work, but she knows how things work. And so there's confusion, and there's disturbance, and there may be even some fear, because why else does the angel say, don't be afraid? Confusion and disturbances often are connected to interruptions. And so the angel gives Mary a heavenly birds and bees talk. It's up on the screen. The angel replies when she says, how can this be? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Now, here's the danger we have when we become church people. Is we can hear that story and just go, yeah, it's the Christmas story. And just move right on past that. But please, just pause for a second to imagine what it is like to be this young girl who is pledged to be married, her legally bound husband is preparing a home for her and she has just been told she's pregnant or going to be pregnant she's young she's poor she's female all characteristics in the first century that to the people in her village would make her seem an unlikely candidate to be used by god for anything and she has this unlikely story that an angel told her that the reason she's pregnant is because God made her pregnant even though she's a virgin. It's a not-too-believable story. And so she's confused and she's disturbed by this interruption into her life and maybe even a little bit afraid. And I believe that That's what interruptions do to us. And so you may be feeling that your abilities or experience or education or lack of it makes you an unlikely candidate for God's service. And I would challenge you to not limit God's choices. That even when you're feeling confused, even when you're feeling disturbed, even when you're feeling afraid, don't limit God. See, Mary did not have all the answers. She chose to believe in the interruption. She chose to trust and uh, and she said yes. And so the thing I want you to take home with you, you can talk about over lunch is up on the screen. Obedience and commitment supersede qualifications. 
Obedience and commitment supersede qualifications. Now, that may not work on your job resume. I don't recommend you try it. But that does work in God's economy every single time. You may feel like an unlikely candidate for God's service, but belief and trust in the midst of confusion is the proper response. That obedience and commitment through the disturbance and even through the fear is the proper response in God's economy. And so now let's fast forward about 30 years. Jesus is now teaching and he comes to the home of Mary and Martha and it's up on the screen again. It says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. He's got to pause there because I never noticed that, that Martha invited Jesus. Verse 39, her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. It's like Thanksgiving, I guess. She came to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. And again, Luke does the same thing to his first century uh, audience who's reading this. He gives some context that's really important that in the 21st century, we can miss it. He says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet and we just ride right by, by that. Like, yeah, okay, that's, that's, that's not a really important detail except that it is. The rabbis, ancient rabbis had a saying that disciples would sit among the dust of their feet. And so Mary was taking the position of a disciple. While Martha's preparing food, Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And it's likely that her position is a shock to everyone in the room. But only Martha's willing to say something about it. So here's Mary. Maybe she's young. Maybe she's poor. She's most definitely female. All would be reasons why she can't be a disciple. Yet she sat at the feet of Jesus. And now here comes the interruption. Here's what brings confusion and disturbance to the disciples, Martha, maybe even Mary too. In verse 41, it's up on the screen. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. And here it is. He says, Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus confirms the decision Mary has made, and he has legitimized her decision as being at the feet of Jesus as a disciple. Jesus chooses to interrupt their belief systems. He chooses to change the way that they go about thinking. And it has to cause disturbance. It has to cause uh, uh, some, some confusion. It has to even bring some fear into their lives. And how many times have I realized that the things that I thought, the things that I was sure of about God, God chooses to interrupt me. I remember when I graduated from college, I was sure I knew everything at that point. Then I went to seminary, and then, by sure, you have to, because you spend a lot of money going to seminary. So you, they have taught you everything there is that you could know. 
I was sure at 25 years old that I knew it all. Then I got married. Then I had children. And somewhere between 25 and 50, what am I now, 54, somewhere in there, I realized I don't know nearly as much as I think I do. And somewhere in there, it became less surprising when the things I thought I knew, I found out I didn't know. But yet it still brings disturbance. It still creates interruption. It still, still causes some confusion. And so Jesus interrupts and changes their belief system. And again, what does he say? I believe he's saying to Mary, obedience and commitment supersedes qualifications. That you may feel that your ability, that your experience, that your education makes you an unlikely candidate. But belief and trust in the midst of confusion is what Jesus wants from us. That obedience and commitment through the disturbance and even through the fear is a proper response. So as we continue this series, I want to I challenge each of us to respond, uh, our responses to determine if an interruption is an interruption or an opportunity. So really we're asking ourselves, are we open to receive an interruption? Are we open to an opportunity? Are we willing to move towards crisis? See, because I, I thought of this as I was driving over here. Uh, I, I came from Voorhees. I stopped at Voorhees and uh, go in my office and prep from 6 o'clock, 6.15, really to be honest with you, 6.15 till 8.10, and then I watch the trailer drive out, and then, uh, that's, and then I have some other things I do during that time, but then I drive over here as well. And as I was leaving today uh, to come over, I was on Maple Avenue, and Dave Evans was behind me in his little Mini Cooper, and I was determined to get here before Dave. I'm determined to get here before everybody. I just like to brace people when I drive. I can't help it. And so, uh, sure enough, we went two different directions, and Dave beat me. I hit two lights. Thought about running them, but I know that's not proper, so I didn't. It's not safe, all those kinds of things. And so Dave beat me here. He said, he won gracefully. He just said, uh, so did you stop for coffee? But when we all leave here today, we're all going to be involved in crisis management. Because here's what we do. As soon as we pull out of the parking lot, you are driving and you will come to a point of crisis where you will have to turn left, right, or straight. Right? And we manage crisis all the way home. That's what we do. Right? It's an interruption in a sense, right? And it, we have to make a decision, left, right, or straight, or maybe there's a soft left. You, you, you see where I'm going with this, right? We manage crisis all the way to our destination. And every decision we make changes their trajectory. Dave and I both got here, but we went different directions to get there. One of us got here faster than the other. Are you open to an interruption? that may be an opportunity. So let me offer you a few challenging questions. Is it possible? Is it possible that God is attempting to interrupt your life? 
There's this really cool story. It's in uh, Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to just read a few verses. It says this, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he went deep into the wilderness near Sinai, the mountain of God. So here's Moses just doing whatever shepherds do. Right? You're, you just stand there watching your sheep. He's just doing whatever it is that they do. He's just on his regular moment, his regular thing, just doing life. It says, Suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared to him as a blazing fire in a bush. Moses was amazed because the bush was engulfed in flames, but it didn't burn up. So a bush just spontaneously combusts and into flame, and it gets Moses' attention. And here's the question I have to ask. Do bushes just spontaneously combust in the desert? The answer is yes, they do. Because of the arid, dry nature, the sun can shine down on it, and dry wood, you know what happens, right? So yeah, it can just spontaneously combust. So that's not what drew his attention. It says, suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared to him as a blazing fire in a bush. Moses was amazed because the bush was engulfed in flames, but it didn't burn up. So he saw the bush on fire, and he went, oh, that's a bush on fire. And then he went, it's still on fire. It's still on fire. How long was the bush on fire before Moses decided this was something unique? Because then the next verse says, amazing, he said to himself. That bush is on fire. And then he said to himself, because we all talk to ourselves, why isn't that bush burning up? Because that's what I would have said. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go over to see it. So the reason it's so important to ask the question, is it possible God is attempting to interrupt your life, is because I believe there's possible times where I've missed the burning bush right in front of me. Where I've missed the opportunity because I only saw it as an interruption. That I only thought it was just a burning bush when it really was a burning bush that was not going to stop burning. So how many times, how many different bushes, bush eye, how many different <laughs> flames did God have to put into existence until Moses finally saw the one that got his attention? And how many times have I been interrupted by God attempts to interrupt me, and I've only seen it as an interruption, not as an opportunity. And I've missed it. And I've missed it. Because really, it can be anything that can get our attention. It can be an illness or a diagnosis. It could be a job change or a career change. It could be an invitation. It can be a relationship. It could be a loss a financial loss, a relational loss, or even death. And every time it causes confusion, and every time it causes disturbance, and every time it causes fear. But it may be that it's a bush that God is burning because He's trying to get our attention because there's this interruption that could turn into an opportunity. There's this crisis 
that we need to manage and we need to determine should we turn left, right, or straight because God is leading us and leading our life in a whole different direction. So the challenging question, is it possible God is attempting to interrupt your life? Second one is this. Is it possible God wants to interrupt your already busy schedule? Because we are all busy, and I know that we're all busy. But is it possible God wants to interrupt your already busy schedule? See, here's what I know, is that I know that we already have our calendars filled for, for Christmas. And I, I know that. We all do. I have the same, same thing going on. Uh, we have our calendars filled. My, my daughter just got a computer, uh, our, her first MacBook, and we we're putting everything on it. And she says, can I put my calendar in? And sure enough, we put our calendar in. Man, that thing just populated. Like, like the girl's busy we got things going on in our lives. But is it possible God wants to interrupt your already busy schedule? Uh, we have three days coming up, December uh, 12th, 13th, and 14th. December 12th, Mount Laurel does something called uh, 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 Santa Comes to Mount Laurel. It's, it's a big event here. Uh, last night I was at Voorhees Tree Lighting, and someone said, does, does Mount Laurel do a tree lighting? And I said, no, we don't have a tree right? We don't have a yard, <laughs> right? No, we don't have a tree. And then I said, but we do Santa comes to Mount Laurel. And she said, really? I said, well, actually it's Mount Laurel does Santa comes to Mount Laurel and we get to come to it. And this is what I thought as I was sharing that I had this like, man, the Voorhees campus would kill. Well, that's really mean to say, but the Voorhees campus would love if Voorhees Township were to host an event and bring Voorhees along. And here we get to show up, and Mount Laurel does this event where hundreds of people will be right here in this space. So imagine if I said to Voorhees, hey, guess what? Mount Laurel, our, our Voorhees township, wants to bring a whole bunch of people to your building. And you just have to show up and be nice to them. Voorhees would kill for that. We get that just because they like us. Mount Laurel Township will have the Santa event right here in the space. It'll be filled with people. We make reindeer food and something else, and Santa's here, and kids file in one door, file out the other door, and it's mad chaos. Best part is we have to clean up. Here's that. We don't have to clean up, and that's the best part, all right? Uh, but we show up and help and do whatever we can. So I, we need some people to, to volunteer for that. All right, if you could, maybe God wants to interrupt your already busy schedule, adding that to an event, because it's a chance for us to serve our community. We don't do anything else from that. We just are nice, smiling people and doing that kind of thing. The other one is our gingerbread house build, which is, uh, Heather already mentioned. But maybe God wants to interrupt your already busy schedule. Here's why I think that's important, because it goes to the third, third, my third challenge. Is it possible that God wants to interrupt you so you can interrupt someone else? Is it possible God wants to interrupt you so that you can interrupt someone else? else do you know that christmas is the most likely time when people are going to attend church it is the most it's our super bowl people the most likely time people are going to attend church and an invitation is an interruption an invitation is an interruption you are you're interrupting people with an invitation But how might your life be different if you had not been interrupted by God? 
Is it possible God wants you to do the same thing to someone else? So here's my challenge for you. It's in your uh, bulletin on the way in the door. Everyone got a postcard. It's a 50-cent challenge. All right? You're going to turn it over, and you're going to put in an address of a friend or family member who you think should visit during Christmas season. You're going to invest in 50 cents for a stamp. You can even write a little personal note. Join me on this date. It's possible God wants you to interrupt someone else's life. You may feel that your abilities and your experience and your education or lack of makes you this unlikely candidate to be used by God. Often people will tell me, you know, I'll be in small groups and we'll tell, hey, tell your story. And they're like, oh, you have no idea of my story. You don't want to hear my story. It's bad. People have this assumption that they've been disqualified, that you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. Obedience and commitment supersedes qualifications in God's economy every time. Every time. And interruptions are opportunities that lead to a change in our life's direction. I believe that that's the reason that we are in Mount Laurel is that there are people, men and women and boys and girls, whose lives are on a certain path. And they're in crisis management, like all of us are. Every day, crisis management, we deal with decisions that we have to make. But there are people who are moving through life. An interruption, an invitation that could redirect their life in a way that 10, 20, 30 years later they would be able to look back and say it just started out as a lunch in an Applebee's. Looking back, say, I just showed up to church and I heard about a campus and next thing you know, I'm on a setup team. And I don't know how it happened. But that experience changed my life. Somebody could say that I got a postcard from a friend who said that they were going to be at church and I could sit with them. And that decision changed the direction my life was going. I believe that that's our reason for being here. Will you stand with me for closing prayer? Obedience and commitment supersedes qualifications. And so, God, I pray that as you look out on this group of people who are gathered in your name, who as we've celebrated and worshiped together, God, that the worship has been pleasing to you. And that the God that you look on our individual lives and you know where we've been, you know what we've done, you know what we're good at and what we're not so good at. And that, God, your desire is for obedience and commitment. That, God, that supersedes any qualifications we may think we have 
or we are surely or we surely don't have. And so, God, I pray that as we uh, go through life, that we would see the opportunities that you have for us, see the times that you're interrupting our lives, and God, that we would be drawn towards those moments. And that, God, we would be willing and open and courageous enough to maybe interrupt someone else's life as well. And, God, that we would see opportunities arise all around us. And that lives would be changed and men and women and boys and girls would know the great love that you have for them. That God, they would look back in 10, 20, 30 years when this place is celebrating its 60th anniversary. And they would say, it's because someone interrupted. And my life went on a whole new direction. Or it's because I saw the bush that I didn't realize had been burning all along it finally got my attention and my life has been on a whole different direction because of god's work in it god i pray that that would be us i pray that god that you would continue to work in and through us and god i thank you again for this time thank you for these people thank you god for this place and we pray all these things in jesus name amen you guys have a great day